And uh, a colleague of mine sees, uh, you know, my salad that, and I'm trying really hard not to do a right in front of my salad joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> um, um, so my salad, uh, which was made up of beans, uh, chickpeas, uh, salad leaves, corn, and mozzarella. And mm -hmm. tells me in a quite, you know, condescending way. But wouldn't it be good to have also some protein in your salad? <laughs> and I was like, well, whatever do you mean? You know, almost everything in this bowl has protein. There are also, you know, um, worse issues than some, mm -hmm. some, some dude not realizing that uh, <laughs> beans and chickpeas and mozzarella have proteins. Uh, <laughs> it's only meat and cum that have protein. Absolutely. Uh, always. <laughs> <laughs> So before we begin, should we reminisce about uh, the, 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 the fun we had yesterday when we discovered that our previous episode, <laughs> the one with the political fan fiction, uh, is quite successful on YouTube of all places. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I find it really funny because it was the, like a totally silly, silly episode with no point, no particular like lesson <laughs> to no, uh, no, 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 like, like, no, just, you know, just that we had fun. I mean, that was the only redeeming quality of the episode. Self-indulgence. Absolutely, absolutely. And I was really curious and I asked you, you know, like, what were people searching for when... Yeah, because most, most, most people came via YouTube searches, yes. so... And it was, it, it, it was extremely funny to see that most people were looking for sex. I mean, who would believe that? It's so surprising. But 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 to be honest, I never imagined that YouTube would be the kind of platform where you just just search for sex, sex. like nothing else, just keyword sex. <laughs> of all the places to look for that. Also, it's very broad. I mean, sure. if you just type in sex, how would you know? Are you assuming it's going to bring up the sex you want? <laughs> I genuinely, I do not know. And um, also, you type in sex, but then you do see the title of the videos, and it was... And also, the thumbnail contains Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. Yes. Is, does that spell out sex to you? Are they like the embodiment of sex? Was, yeah, was that what they were actually looking for? Maybe they were like, well, I don't know really what I want, but I know that when I see it, mm -hmm. and they saw it, and they were like, yeah, 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 yeah that's it. That hit the spot. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry, all the good people who came across this uh, video and were disappointed because the drop-off rate is really high. So people were like, oh, I'm looking for sex. Oh, I guess I will click on this. And then, oh, this is not what I expected. But... <laughs> <laughs> And, and the, the lesson we took from this experience is that all the following episodes will have sex or sexiness in uh, their title. Yes, and I we guess. decided that this episode <laughs> will be titled The Sexiness of Science. <laughs> we usually just sort of act like silly cows, <laughs> talking shit about all sorts of stuff. But uh, this, uh, this one, this, this episode is... Uh, I feel like it might be providing something marginally useful. At least uh, that's how I'd like to delude myself. Uh, and uh, so we are gathered here today because you kept uh, bringing up something that uh, you noticed while talking with patients throughout your practice as a 
Where are you again? <laughs> Where do I work? I, I, I work yeah. in a radiotherapy center. Uh, yeah, but what do you do? Oh, I uh, t- take care of the um, oncological patients' um, nutritional needs. Basically, basically cancer nutrition. So uh, you were saying you were a bit troubled by the inability of many of your patients to assess information that they've come across. Uh, all of us have Googled our diagnostic. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and I, I'm guessing if it's a severe one, then, you know, your anxiety will prompt you to look up info on that even more. And uh, there is quite a fair amount of info out there, but plenty of it is not just medical fan fiction, shall we say, <laughs> but uh, it can actually damage the well-being of uh, already quite vulnerable people. So what we will be concerned in this episode is not so much the average person's ability to science every day in the nerdiest way, uh, to, you know, uh, be able to submit their first study to the Lancet or whatever science magazine but uh, rather to just make sure the home there does this pass the sniff test skills. Yeah. Is, is, that, is that a good way to describe what we're trying to do here? I mean, no, I think, uh, I think you, you did that pretty well. After all, our general ability when it comes to healthcare, which is something we all need, even if some in more you know, higher degrees than others, um, to, to realize when something is off, at least. Mm-hmm. Of course, most of the time we won't, we won't know exactly what, But to have that, that feeling that mm, maybe I should just ask one more person at least. I, I think it's useful to, even if you don't know and couldn't uh, bring counter arguments mm-hmm. to whatever is presented to you, to just have that sort of skepticism, that healthy skepticism. Yes, yes. That like, mm, this, this sounds, you know, if something is too easy, something just solves all your problems if Mm -hmm. something is just you know so obvious and there and like everybody else is acting like actually there is no solution or the solution is a lot more complicated um if something is extremely extremely expensive when you already have something uh, you know with no money involved in the normal healthcare system and somebody else asks you for a huge amount of money and say they will solve your issue in easier way uh, just mm-hmm. be a little mm, you know if this is the secret all the doctors don't want you to know about yeah exactly exactly <laughs> exactly so yeah so that that kind of thing so should i uh, just um, actually discuss some examples of go ahead Okay, so there are many examples that I can, you know, I can think of and um they can be attributed to very different ways of not understanding some ideas. First we have the, you know, the very simple ones, uh, just simply not verifying basic facts that are actually mm-hmm. easily verifiable. As an example, I had a patient who actually was a health- healthcare worker. So, you know, she was actually, you know, somewhat in the know, let's say. Uh, and um, she, she, she told me that she drinks a lot of beetroot juice to up her um, red blood cells and her iron level in her blood, you know. So she, she, mm-hmm. she had anemia. And I, I okay. told her that, you know, beetroot is not a good source of iron and that uh, the, the beetroot juice even less so. So there are other foods that she could eat that could be more beneficial for her goal. 
And she became quite upset, you know, which was like really weird. <laughs> and she told me that a friend of hers that is also a doctor told her that beetroot juice is a great source of iron. And now I am saying something else. And what is she even supposed to do? You are undermining her friendship. Yeah. And I told her, just, you know, take into consideration what I told you. And when you get home, look up the information uh, that does not have anything to do with someone trying to sell you on an idea. Just go and check, you know, some botanical facts about beetroot. Don't don't look at uh, mm -hmm. articles that uh, talk about beetroot and cancer, beetroot and magical healing or whatever. Just, you know, something about the plant in itself from the botanical perspective. And maybe comparing the plant, uh, that plant with other plants. Yes, in terms exactly, of their... exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. But she was not convinced. And uh, actually, she, she, she left my office quite upset. <laughs> so, like I said, you were undermining her friendship. Yes, and you were trying trying to weasel your way yes. into that relationship. So, yeah, so so these problems start uh, even from this very let's say easy level, uh, where mm, you could sort of manage to discern between two opinions quite easily. Mm -hmm. Then we have more complicated situations. One of the most common is the use of anecdotal evidence. You know, mm -hmm. um, this yeah. is mostly based on the fact that. Some people just, you know, don't understand that it is very unlikely that you can come up with evidence when you use a sample size of one. Mm -hmm. uh, and what do I mean by, you know, sample size of one? There are several ways in which this manifests. For example, some people um, tell me, well, I took this supplement before and I felt better. And I'm okay. okay. But were you also doing other things that could have been beneficial at the time? Was the problem one that tends to be, you know, an auto-limited process by itself? Because, you know, so many other things could have happened there. But a lot of people will just swear by that thing if they already decided on it. Well, what is an auto-limited process exactly? Well, let's say uh, you have, uh, you've eaten something that was not very fresh. And um, actually what you have, well, you'll have some bacteria in your food and you will have a gastrointestinal bug, basically. Okay. That most likely will, you know, you your body will get rid of it in one, two, three days. So you will have some diarrhea, you will not feel so good, but it will go away by itself, even if you do the best of things or even if you don't, you know. Mm -hmm. Or um, you have um, some sort of respiratory virus that has a, by definition, um, we, we already know that it's that, that kind of virus that will, you know, it will take from three to five days to go away. So you will have some respiratory symptoms and they will go away. Away. So, so it's the sort of thing that whether or not you follow a treatment of any kind, mm -hmm. your body can deal with it yes. unaided, so to yes, speak. Exa yes, okay. exactly. We have this, uh, this saying in Romania about, at, at least when it comes to these uh, uh, respiratory symptoms, um, we generally say that uh, if you take some you know, drugs, medicines, the symptoms will probably clear in under a, a week. And if you don't, they'll go away in seven days. <laughs> <laughs> so basically that you know what about the people who think that okay if i take i don't know paracetamol mm -hmm. and it helps for a specific uh, problem if i take five more then it will go away five times uh, sooner uh, yeah i mean <laughs> one, one of the one of the worst myth about paracetamol 
is the idea that you can take it preemptively. Mm-hmm. You don't have a fever, you don't have some sort of uh, either inflammation or fever, and you just take paracetamol to not catch a cold. It has nothing to do with that. It's a symptomatic drug, and it will only work if you have the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And um, the problem with paracetamol is that it's uh, quite liver toxic. So just taking some paracetamol will just fuck up your liver a little bit <laughs> and will, will, not, uh, will not prevent the possible future development of any kind of symptoms. Let's say people that take homeopathic drugs. Mm-hmm. They start feeling not so good uh, one or two days. They realize, oh, okay, so I'm definitely coming down with something somewhere on day three oh, I have to take something. And they do, and on day four or five, the problem's clear. And they're like, look, it Mm -hmm. worked. Water works, hydration works. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Um, Or this uh, this problem could manifest in other ways. You know, for example, somebody who had a good lifestyle, with a good diet, with exercise, you know, not smoking, and yet they now have a disease, quite serious disease. Mm -hmm. And they feel like their good lifestyle was Hmm. worthless, like it was all for nothing. And if I ask them, but how do you know that your current disease would not have manifested earlier were it not for your good lifestyle? Or how do you know that um, you would not have had some other diseases on top of this one without your good lifestyle? I mean, how do you know that it didn't help? Because people imagine that a good lifestyle means that you will have zero health issues forever. which is obviously, you know, an unreasonable uh, thing to strive for. Yes, but you do not understand the actual question or the actual frustration behind this reasoning because they, they're thinking like, I went for a fucking run and gave up that last piece of delicious chocolate and still I got cancer. Like, no, people are not generally not, not that, though. They, they don't think that as the problem. What they think is that, there was something extra that they could have done. There was this one extra thing. And if they only would have added that. So they are sort of uh, feeling guilt towards not doing enough? They are not? feeling guilt and they are also um, searching. They are searching and researching what that thing is so they can add it so that, that the cancer can go away and they can be healthy forever after that. Because a, a lot of people think that you can prevent 100% of health issues. Mm-hmm. And this idea of um, probabilities that you do the good thing and you will have a higher probability of having less problems, but that is not a guarantee. And this um, uncertainty is is destroying a lot of people, um, you know, their ability to exist in every day. Yeah, you did uh, mention in uh, another episode the fact that when you talk to people um, in your practice, many of them will point to the fact that, well, there's no history of, uh, let's say, cancer in our family, so Mm -hmm. how come? Mm -hmm. Uh, And you have to explain to them, well, the history starts somewhere, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Obviously. Uh, So, yeah, even... Well, despite or uh, irrespective of uh, your lifestyle, sometimes it happens that, you know, in the genetic lottery, you're on the losing side, so to speak. Yeah, and generally when they say there is no cancer in my family, what they generally mean is my parents and my grandparents. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, because uh, even if we get to grand-grandparents, already people generally don't actually know why those people died. Mm -hmm. And even if they know what the family thought that was the cause of death at the time, most likely it's wrong (laughs) yeah so you know okay so 
There are many concepts that are very useful that uh, a lot of people in Romania are just not used to. Uh, because uh, to say in English that, you know, correlation does not equal causation is almost, you know, a joke, a meme, since like everybody knows this mm-hmm. and saying it is so, so well known. I dare say it feels mm-hmm. like overused to just say this very obvious yeah. thing. But if you say it in Romania, a lot of people just look at you like, what are you talking about? You know, Mm -hmm. even in in, uh, other countries where, as you said, the saying uh, is very popular, Mm -hmm. well known, even though people still make these mistakes. Yes, yes. But but at least the concept is familiar, whereas, yeah, you said in Romania, people are not even familiar uh, many a time with the concept. Yes, and I I generally I try to to use this example because I think it illustrates very well what I'm trying to say. But people are not convinced because I tell them correlation does not equal causation. And I try to to tell them that, um, look, if you if, if we're talking about, let's say, breast cancer. Wearing skirts. <laughs> where, where are we going with this? Well, because um, a, a huge percent of the people that will get breast cancer also wear skirts of some point in their oh, lives, okay, you see. know? So it's if you draw a correlation, is is a very close one. You you will find something like ninety plus percent. Mm-hmm. There is no causation there. There is no yeah. no actual relation other than the correlation that is statistically very high. So I try to to use this example because I I, I think is very descriptive. But uh, people just go like, oh, like, sure, of course, they, it's obvious there. <laughs> <laughs> And they just don't grasp the concept in itself, you know, the fact that just because you can tell me that, you know, five people that did that and after that, that happened, it's exactly like with the skirts. Like, <laughs> there is not a, a, in itself a way to prove causation, but... Yeah, by the way, I'm team pants uh, all the way, so... Yeah, sure, but even you, <laughs> even you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but besides the uh, unproductive and sometimes funny conversations between patients and doctors that arise from this, why should people care about science or information that poses a science? Like, how does this affect them, you know, beyond the occasional beetroot overdose? (laughs) About beetroot overdose, I have met the first real life patient that managed to overdose on carrots. Really? Yes. And 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 what did that look like? Orange. <laughs> no, I, I'm not joking. <laughs> really? Yeah, really. And oh. I like you know this is something you 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 read about that is it's told to you anecdotally in um, in medical school. <laughs> And I never saw something like that. I just thought it was like something funny that like, but I, I, I saw my first patient that overdosed on carrots, on actual carrot juice. And they were orange. Like their skin? Their skin, yeah. Anything yeah, their, else? Their skin, their uh, the sclera, their their eyes, like they were orange. But but was it like the sort of orange you get from those really bad tanning sprays or was it yeah, like... More like... Yeah, more like that. It was... Uh, Obviously, not uh, like the somebody painted them with a color, <laughs> color mm-hmm. orange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah, they, 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 they started to to to, to get <laughs> yellowishy, orangey. <laughs> it, oh God! It's, okay. it, 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 it was not the best of colors, let's let's say. And um, I, I, I was shocked. I was like, okay, so how 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 did you manage to to, to make yourself orange? <laughs> and uh, and um, she told me that she read that um, you know the caroten carotenoids from carrots are uh, you know uh, good to combat cancer which is true uh, and uh, she, she she saw that like she needs a huge dose of that 
And first she tried to eat the carrots, but she couldn't eat that huge amount. I mean, of, of, <laughs> it's a lot of work. Her jawline, though, would have been on point. <laughs> yes. And uh, even like like she she tried uh, to, to like to, to boil them and everything. And then it it, it it occurred to her that maybe she's destroying the nutrients mm-hmm. by cooking. Yeah, and then she decided on uh, juicing. And... She, she that also means a lot of sugar right uh, that yep. she ingested yeah sure of course and um, uh, and she was uh, she she was drinking about three cups in the morning three cups in the morning <laughs> yeah three cups in the morning uh, three cups in the afternoon and in the evening she she had two cups of beetroot juice and one extra cup of um, carrot juice wow okay yeah that's a lot of juice. Yeah, a lot of like, juice. A lot of juice. Yes. So basically, most of her like uh, hydration needs were fulfilled via juices. So, 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 yeah. So this, I, I have a feeling you said this thing about uh, beetroot overdose as a joke. <laughs> 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 okay. <clears throat> but moving, moving on from the fact that if you, you know, if you, if you try hard enough, you can overdose on anything. I think it's very important to be able to tell when something really is bullshit, like really has no bearing on your future health. And I think one of the most famous examples of somebody who couldn't tell, you know, uh, reality from bullshit was Steve Jobs, uh, who, when he was first diagnosed with uh, pancreatic cancer, well, insulinoma, he, he tried to cure himself with diet or some other natural remedies. And it took him a while to realize that he was on the wrong track. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, am, I am sure that uh, before he got sick, he would have advised other people to do this too, because... He clearly believed it. I mean, he he did it for himself. So he he was a genuine believer. Believer. The man was trying to disrupt the cancer industrial <laughs> complex. You don't know. Yeah, no. I mean, like you don't know what his intention he, was. He he genuinely believed it because you know sometimes uh, you see some of these famous people saying stuff and you're like, yeah, okay, they're doing for the grift. They they get some money, but like he was mm-hmm, o- mm-hmm. he was obviously honest. Obviously, it uh, delayed his uh, actual treatment. uh, Enough for him to die. Well, no, he, I mean, the outcome would have been the same, let's say. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, no, he didn't, uh, I mean, no. I had uh, I had a patient who tried to only drink vegetable juice for 45 days to cure her cancer. So no food. No 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 food, no food. Just drinking vegetable juice and she stopped oh. after she lost 20 kilograms. Wow. Yeah, and well this was obviously very detrimental since she then had to start oncological treatment that is a very, you know, demanding on a person's body and mm-hmm. it, it will already have a huge impact on their body weight and general fitness. And and uh, was this person uh, sort of overweight or what, were they no, already? No, they uh, they were normal weight person and they became severely underweight. Yes, um, I think one of the preconceived ideas that is most difficult to shake is that all weight loss is good. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very, very hard to convince my patients, especially the ones that have been struggling with their uh, weight for a long time, mm-hmm. that during cancer treatment, you know, is not the best time to, to lose weight. Yeah. And you also told me that it's not just fat, basically, that you're shedding, but of course. a lot of muscle mass and things like that. In the context of the, the disease, the presence of cancer, there is also uh, there is a bigger chance uh, than uh, normal for you to lose muscle mass 
when you lose weight. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's so ingrained uh, because sometimes when I when when I hear dietitians from United States or Western Europe, they keep talking about diet culture, diet culture, and sometimes it's annoying. Sometimes I'm like, you're you're you know you're 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 overselling this point. But 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 I realize that that is the reason that people think that weight loss is good no matter what. Um, also, um, you know, it's uh, it's important to, to to realize that for for every person who might be uh, misinformed, there are so many grifters out there who are actually just after your money in the most horrible of ways. Yeah. And um, I think a very famous example is Belle Gibson, uh, who lied about uh, actually having cancer herself. And uh, she made an app and sh- she sold that app for people with cancer. And uh, she she made a lot of money. She got a book deal. She, she was featured in uh, high profile magazines and on uh, TV shows. And nobody verified anything about what she was saying. And she was just discovered because she took it too far. What was her uh, app about? What was it more? monitoring or what was it offering? It was basically just recipes, food recipes. Mm. It wasn't Mm -hmm. even you know, something very interesting or in any way revolutionary. <laughs> so it was in the vein of, I'll just uh, diet away my cancer. Yes, I will yes. just eat away my cancer. Yes, okay. yes. So uh, what about the other side of uh, the equation? Uh, patients uh, are at risk in many ways if they are unable to distinguish bullshit or uh, outright harmful information from the legit stuff, of course. But uh, what's the situation among medical professionals in terms of their ability to communicate effectively or even sift through mountains of dubious data themselves? Okay, so... The truth is that, um, you know, grifters are successful also because the legitimate medical professionals do not communicate very well. Present person excluded. Oh, who knows? I mean, <laughs> I, the, the problem is that I think I am doing a somewhat okay job, but honestly, there is no way for me to verify myself. To to, mm-hmm. to Like, there isn't a place where I could go to have uh, at least a course, a, a, a serious course about patient communication. And for, 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 mm-hmm. for somebody who uh, is very good at that to tell me like, okay, maybe you're not doing this right. Like, so I just, I, I think I'm doing good, but I think all the other people who do shit also think they're doing good. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, you know. Um, yeah. So this happens for, for, for many reasons. And uh, for one, most of, uh, you know, hospitals and clinics and all mm-hmm. that are, um, you know, severely understaffed. And I think this is true in a lot of countries. They don't have mm-hmm. enough doctors. They don't have enough nurses. Also, there is not much emphasis put on communication in medical school, at least, you know, not in the Romanian medical school. We are taught a lot of facts in the most dry way, and uh, we are given zero lessons in um, what are you know effective strategies in relying those facts to patients, and uh, how how can you tell you know also um, strategies to realize if uh, what you said reached the patient in the way mm-hmm. that you intended, and um, some doctors uh, you know have actually atrocious manners that are you know and they are completely unaware about the actually terrible impact that they have on their patients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually know many people who outright told me that one of the reasons that they turned to all sorts of like alternative medicine or therapies was because they had had some terrible experience with their doctor who was either completely callous during an emotionally charged moment uh, 
let's say, during their treatment or they were just dismissive, mostly from what I can understand from their recounting because mm-hmm. of like ego stuff. Uh, so they were dismissive of maybe second opinions that mm-hmm. the patient had gotten from other doctors, legit doctors, Mm -hmm. that might have uh, maybe introduced additional information uh, and could have helped them maybe diagnose better or treat, uh, improve the treatment or things like that. So, oh, some some doctors, at least in Romania, react horrible to the idea of the Mm -hmm. second, uh, second opinion. I mean, I, I, I know <laughs> a lot of, of, of doctors who, if the patient goes to them and says, look, um, I, I also had, I had this uh, recommendation that it's slightly different or adds something. And what they will get is not an explanation. Either, look, I don't understand why they said that. And I'm sorry, I cannot tell you more because look, these are the, these are the reasons why I believe mm-hmm. what I believe. Or yes, there, there is also that option. I honestly believe what I said is the better option, but indeed, yeah. we could also do that. But a lot of doctors will just be like, well, if you don't trust me and you went to, went to some other guy, just go to that guy now. And, you know, <laughs> kindergarten level of yeah, reaction, yeah. you know. We also have the, you know, the problem of medical professionals who think that just because they are very good in their field, to, you know, that they actually studied really, really well for years on end, this just means that by magic, they must also be, you know, really good in other areas of the medical profession. And also history and politics. And yeah, and ba- yeah <laughs> ba- basically anything else that they did not study anything about uh, since they were at university or, you know, in case of politics or history, never. And uh, this leads uh, many times to really cringe conversations mm-hmm. like I have a really silly example that also I, I think it's it's silly and unimportant but very telling <laughs> for yeah, yeah. for for what I mean because at work we have uh, food delivery and um, I, I try hard to order as much plant-based options as I can Mm-hmm. Since I, I find that they're harder to do at home, you know? Okay. And uh, a colleague of mine sees, uh, you know, my salad that, and I'm trying really hard not to do a f- right in front of my salad joke. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> um, um, so my salad, uh, which was made up of beans, uh, chickpeas, uh, salad leaves, corn, and mozzarella. And Mm -hmm. tells me in a quite, you know, condescending way, because I actually liked that salad and I got it a lot of times and he saw me other times too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in in this tone. But wouldn't it be good to have also some protein in your salad? (laughs) And I was like, well, whatever do you mean? You know, almost everything in this bowl has protein. And he looked at me, you know, very skeptical and, you know, with, with, with that facial expression that just said, oh, this poor silly girl, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so, you know, what? <laughs> of course, there are also, you know, um, worse issues than some, mm-hmm. some, some dude not realizing that uh, <laughs> beans and chickpeas and mozzarella have proteins. Uh, <laughs> it's only meat and cum that have protein. Absolutely. Uh, always. <laughs> <laughs> From what I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, you know, some, some medical professionals are themselves incapable to tell fact from fiction in some cases. Mm-hmm. And um, just look how many actual doctors believe in homeopathy, for example. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, unfortunately, medical school puts a lot of emphasis on our ability to remember things mm-hmm. and to, to recognize the things that we were taught when we see them, you know. Mm-hmm. But at least in, in Romania, uh, there is not enough attention 
attention being paid to biostatistics, uh, to biochemistry, and sometimes even to basic physiology. So uh, most of us don't really understand what, you know, the, the, the rest of the problems are built upon. So mm-hmm. it's very easy at some point to be like, and here is magic. <laughs> <laughs> I I was never like top of my class or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what struck me really hard during 2020 and 2021, uh, due to the pandemic and the existence of social media, I could read the posts of some of my former colleagues who were much better students than oh, I was. God. You know, <laughs> like the the people that were like top five of of of, of my year, who are seeing things that were just insanely not true. Mm-hmm. One that uh, stuck in my mind was this idea that I saw shared that since we can uh, see, we know that the coronavirus is sensitive to heat, uh, we could put hair dryers up our noses. When we come back from home, from wherever, and we will sterilize our nose. I, I, I feel like many nostrils have been fried during these past two years. <laughs> yeah, and also the fact that, of course, obviously you can burn yourself, especially up your nose. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but also to think that a virus comes into your nose, through your nostrils, and then... Creepy sta- crawly. And then stays there and waits for you to get home and get your hair dryer. And like, what the fuck, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, because they crawl into your nose and they're then they're like, well, phew, that was a lot of effort. Now I think we just uh, need to take a coffee break and maybe chill for a while and then, you know, move along. Yeah, yeah, pretty, pretty much. Okay, so let's uh, talk a bit about the practical aspects of scientific thinking. Obviously, one of the original sins uh, is the nature of our educational system, which is uh, in uh, dire need of an update. But uh, more importantly, I would argue it needs to work on making students less fearful of not having the right answer, uh, followed by constructive feedback, which helps you identify mistakes and correct them. Because uh, as things stand at the moment, many resort to as you said rote learning so and 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 many others just you know give up on the idea of uh, using you know education not you know not just as a the, the usual oh education solves everything but no like it can actually help you acquire skills that can help you grow as a human being so mm-hmm. to speak not just oh it's good to get a job and things like that no it's mm-hmm. good to you know better understand the world around uh, around you so we have a problem with many uh, people who try to memorize and reproduce information rather than engage with it in any way and many of them do this because because they fear being ridiculed uh, for getting things wrong or they feel ashamed for even like require requiring additional information from you know their teacher their tutor their whoever uh, yeah you are you are absolutely right uh, something that is very recognizable in Romania even uh, you know with adults uh, professionals at conferences is that almost nobody asks questions of the speaker And if you respectfully disagree with a speaker and you ask something, it is seen as you trying to stir up trouble mm-hmm. rather than trying to have a constructive dialogue. A lot of people uh, re- regress to like primary school level uh, <laughs> if they are asked questions by the speakers. Like somebody is like, did, did this happen to you in your practice? Like, can you recognize this issue? And uh, and then they just behave like kids that try to hide under their school table, you know? Like, nobody mm-hmm. engages in that conversation. One of my first experiences of how things can be different were at my first international nutrition course held by ESPON. ESPON is the European Society of Enteral and Parental Nutrition. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, the speaker asked us what we think about the use of glutamine for cancer patients anyway. Uh, and I had an opinion. And there was uh, another guy there, also a doctor, that he had a different opinion than me. And I had a counter-argument to, to what he said, and then he had a counter-argument. And it, so it went, like uh, mm-hmm. we were both uh, given uh, microphones, and basically we had a one-on-one conversation. Uh, that mm-hmm. it was somewhere around 10 minutes ish let's say mm-hmm. And actually, it was useful and fun because, like, people in in the conference room were having fun with it too. Mm-hmm, like, uh, mm-hmm. they were looking to see if we would just end up listing like all the arguments. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, myself and that colleague that I had a disagreement w- uh, w- with, you know, later that week because it was a, a week long long course, we went out for drinks and we were actually very eager to to talk to each other and we enjoyed each other's presence. It was wasn't like mm-hmm. you didn't agree with me oh you know <laughs> and now i will put a curse upon your family for yeah. several generations because you personally attacked me yeah exactly but a lot of the times if you do that in romania there is a huge chance that people would just say that you know you're a busybody that you just think you're too smart or you know like mm-hmm. shit like that yeah <laughs> there was a there was another interesting thing uh, you told me about and uh, this is perhaps a Ted weird for those who might be from, I don't know, Western Europe or America, but uh, large chunks of the internet are still very sort of sparsely populated for those who aren't proficient in, you know, any of the widely used languages like English, French, German, I'm assuming Mandarin or Japanese. And this is very much the case with specialized content such as medical information, because it's not like most random Joe Schmo medical doctor keeps a regularly updated blog with their notes on, I don't know, the latest uh, scientific publication that he uh, reviewed uh, and things like that. Many countries such as ours, if uh, you're lucky, then you might have like a major hospital or clinic producing some uh, dedicated pages on their official website uh, for certain frequently asked questions or some basic information on medical terms. But it's usually a static page that doesn't get updated and patients won't be able to interact in any way. And, you know, maybe ask questions or things like that. And so there's a lot of empty online space that can be filled by uh, shady actors. Last year, I decided to, to build an online presence for myself. Uh, so is, is this the place where we can uh, plug your uh, stuff? <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I mean, if anybody is interested in cancer nutrition, I am Irina Mateesh and... Uh, that's my blog, also my YouTube channel, also my Instagram, also my Facebook page. So Yeah, I will put the links in the yeah. description. For the moment, you're only providing material in Romanian, right? Yes. I mean, that's the point, uh, yeah. <laughs> to provide material in Romanian. <laughs> so I decided to, to, you know, build an online presence for myself. And first of all, it was quite hard because I am a somewhat older generation, being 42 this year. Uh, you know, I did not have internet access <laughs> for a long time <laughs> in my life. And my first personal computer was when I ha- turned 24. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, I started this and discovered some people that were giving advice about how to grow and attract your audience, like what you should look for, uh, how to write content that people actually want to read or listen to. And mm-hmm. of course, I found out about this thing called the SEO, you know, the search engine optimization and about keywords and the such. And the problem I ran into was that when I looked up keywords that had tons of search uh, search value in English, I realized that like nobody was looking for them in Romanian. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it has been very hard to discover what people want to read when it comes to something as specialized as uh, my online work, you know, cancer nutrition. Because most mm-hmm. things that have tons of uh, reach are utter garbage, like uh, detox cures and uh, boosting your immunity and, you know, shit like that. Beetroot juice. Beetroot juice, yeah. And... Um, <laughs> Weirdly, not even beetroot juice, even if it, it's one of the most used things, I realized by asking my patients that mostly they hear about it from other people. They don't read about it. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I realized that us in Romania have the problem that people don't even know what they should be looking for, let alone the problem of not having good content on those subjects. Or the attention span to actually yes. go through the content. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure, sure. Because th- that was another thing I, I, I noticed, uh, that people who actually look for certain uh, subject don't have the patience to for a five-minute video to actually hear what they were actually looking for. <laughs> and uh, um, I, I find very amusing that sometimes, let's say you have a video that uh, has the title, uh, what can I eat if I have a colostomy bag? And uh, mm-hmm. in the comments, somebody will be like, and what can I eat? If I... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, click on the video. <laughs> Uh, and I, I, I've noticed this time and time again that some, some people come to an article of mine and they don't read it and they're just like, but is it true that la la la? And I'm like, can't you first read and see if you get your answer? <laughs> so yeah, I think we have huge problem understanding information for, un- for understanding what kind of basic information we should all have in order for our lives to be better and uh, to, to, to have less chance of us hurting ourselves and less chance of somebody stealing our money. So do you have any thoughts on what could be done to improve the quality and availability of better medical information for non-English speakers, like both online and in real life? Or should we just wrap this up and leave it as a frustration, a scream of frustration into the void well, kind of episode? We can, we can definitely, you know, have uh, both. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, there is a lot of change that needs to actually happen in um, the school years. When you are in school, in high high school and at university. Both for patients and doctors. Exactly, exactly. For mm-hmm. for everybody. I, I don't feel comfortable talking about non-English speakers because I have no idea if this is also a problem in Poland or Hungary. Uh, or, you know, for example, I, I know for sure that in Russian, because you also said the major speaking languages, in Russian there is a lot of content. Um, one of my colleagues um, at, uh, at work uh, who speaks Russian, she's a psychologist and she tells me they have great content, you know, online. Mm, okay. So we are talking about Romania here <laughs> mm-hmm. because okay. uh, we know for sure it's a it's an us problem. Maybe it's a, some <laughs> other people problem, but it's definitely an us problem. Okay. So I hope more genuine medical professionals will be up for putting their face in the public sphere because so far only grifters and uh, fucking insane people were doing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you start um, just coming up on TV, it's seen as like you're not doing your job, you're just looking for fame. To have a blog or a YouTube channel is definitely something very fringe in Romania. A lot of other people will just look at you like, you know, either you're not very good at your job if this is what you're doing with your free time. It's not seen as a good thing. A respectable a, thing. A respectable thing, yeah. Because when I tra- when I started my, my blog and YouTube channel, I realized I will not find somebody else who does 
what I do on the exact same subject. But I was like, okay, so let's see other people who do this in other subjects that uh, are successful and they are actually very good, you know, also content wise. Mm -hmm. Um, And I didn't find many, but I did find one uh, doctor an endocrinologist and um, she was doing great she she also started during the pandemics but she got a lot of followers she had a lot of content she was posting consistently like she was doing it really well and um, I was talking with uh, another friend of mine and she told me like why don't you write to her just write to her tell her you like what she's doing and if she wants to talk to you Mm -hmm. and I was like Oh, I mean, that sounds a little weird. <laughs> Awkward. Awkward. But, you know, it's not like I was going to ask to, to, to send her a dick pic or something. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, and um, so I just I just wrote her an email um, and told her, you know, hello, I'm also a doctor. I also am starting to do what you're doing. And uh, I think you're doing it really, really well. And uh, if you ever would like to speak with me, let me know. And uh, she actually replied and she was ecstatic and she was like, oh, you know, you're the first person that is also a medical professional who complimented me on this. Like, you're the first feedback I got that is not a patient. You're the first person who isn't a hater. No, no, but like she, she only got the feedback from patients. Oh, okay. Nobody else that, that was uh, a doctor that was complimenting her from that perspective, not the perspective of being a patient and looking for information. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for somebody who was like, oh, you're doing a really good job of, you know, doing this. So I think more exposure and more, you know, willingness from nurses, doctors to put themselves in the public eye. Let's uh, conclude this episode with the usual <laughs> share, like, and subscribe, as they say. Of course. And uh, don't fall for silly shit on the internet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So okay. take care and uh, bye. Bye. bye.